What a joy to be together as we remember, we remember the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross through communion today. We want to remember, we are told to remember, because we have to remember how Jesus takes our sins and our sorrows and griefs. It's humbling to think about generations of believers who have obediently acted on the command of Jesus to continually and perpetually take his body and blood. The first Sunday of October, we join with the church worldwide as we celebrate the oneness we have in the body of Christ. We eat the same loaf. We drink the same vine. Imagine God's people in every country on earth confessing, coming before the Lord and confessing how they have fallen short, seeking God's kingdom, rejoicing in the Savior whose love gives us our worth. We have pictures today, just for a few moments, to show you people worshiping taken a few years ago, worshiping in Honduras and Kenya, and Armenia, and Mississippi, the Philippines, and Rwanda. And we need to remember as we come into this place that we are not the only people who worship the Lord. There's so, God is alive in every place on the planet, and we give the Lord thanks for this. In every language and culture, honoring the Lord, as we all seek to follow Jesus, who promises to be present when just two or three come together in his name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Today we are in Isaiah 44. If you read the whole chapter, which we're not going to do today, we will see that this is a continued argument that Yahweh is giving to the people against idols in the lives of those who are being freed from the exile. This makes sense because Yahweh wants his people to live completely unto him. You will not have any idols is one of the core commandments. It's one of the ten. This is a wide swath of scripture in Isaiah about idols, so that naturally invites us to ponder what that means for a moment. So I'm going to give some overview of some ideas found in uh, chapter 44, and we're also going to read some of it. As an overview, the first five verses are a blessing to Israel, reminding them how God has formed them and God will help them. And there's a picture and God says, just as the rain quenches the thirsty and dusty and dry land, so my spirit will be poured out on you and your descendants and your children's children, and you will be blessed forever. Those who find favor with Yahweh will proclaim how they belong to him, that they are called by the name of the Lord. Through Jesus, whom we celebrate today, those promises are for us too. So we reflect for just a moment on how God nourishes our souls when they are dry and shriveled up. And we thank the Lord who brings life in a world where there is death and despair. Despair. 
Those who belong to Jesus hold out so much for life, even when there is scant evidence of it. And we have been guaranteed that no matter how long it takes, we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. This is a fitting introduction to our verses today. So we're going to read verses 6 through 8. We're going to talk about them. Then we're going to have another little overview interlude. And then we're going to read 21 through 23 to finish up. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let them proclaim it. Let them declare and set it forth before me. Who has announced from of old the things to come? Let them tell us what is yet to be. Do not fear or be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? There is no other rock. I know not one. The promises in the first five verses that we talked about are predicated on the three that we just read. How do we know that the Lord keeps his word? Because God is the king, he says. Because he is the redeemer. Because there is no one like him. He is the Lord of hosts. There is no one who comes before him. No one will come after him. Where will we find anyone else like God? God says, if you can find someone like me, let's go. Bring him in. Proclaim that he is the one. From the most ancient of days, the humanity has known God has spoken and given life. We have stories and wisdom and miracles that attest of God's presence among his people. So we stop and we just reflect on that even in our own very small lives. How God is alive and present. God dwells in the hearts of those who love him. God is great and worthy to be praised. Only God. And God says, don't be afraid. Because what I ultimately decree will come to pass. We get terrified and afraid of things that are happening in the world. We long to be remade and for the world to be remade. So we mourn and lament and grieve. And we allow Jesus to meet us and heal us and speak to us. We go out and we do his work with great hope. But the scripture reminds us that as we do that, we remain confident. We remain confident that there is only one God. So now we have a brief interlude, Isaiah 9 through 20. It's not going to be up on the screen. Basically, in the middle of these scriptures, in the part we do not read, there is what we might call the idol factory tour. (laughs) And when you think about tours that you've taken, I've been to a Jelly Belly factory. I've been to the Hershey's Chocolate Factory. I've been to a tortilla factory. My dad was born above a cheese factory in Wisconsin. (laughs) And God is kind of saying, hey, you guys, in case you missed buying a ticket, I'm going to tell you exactly how the process goes. And there's a detailed description in there. And so as we read it, we can envision the factory in our minds. There's a blacksmith working with tools over hot coals, shaping the metal and forging it with his strong arm. There is a carpenter fashioning the wood into a human form. And then the maker of the idols gets hungry and makes bread and warms himself by the fire. And when the idol is complete, the crafter says to the wood or the metal object, whatever it is, save me, 
for you are my God. And Yahweh is basically saying, "Mm, this is absurd. (laughs) It's absurd that we offer worship to these widgets created by mortals. God is saying, do you see how deluded this is? They don't understand what a fraud the idols are or how their worship is in vain. So then we close out with Isaiah 20, 44, 21 through 23. There's more in, this, in the chapter, of course, but this is where we're going to close. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, do not forget me. Remember, I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. The Lord has formed you. Before the foundation of the world, you were planned to be here. You were once like baby Tobin. God creates masterpieces called humans. We are formed by the hand of the creator. It is he alone who can sweep aside our transgressions like a cloud. And God calls his people always to return to him because we wander far away. Come back to me, he says, and find forgiveness. And when we find that forgiveness, we are led to sing and to shout for joy. All of creation breaks into song for the beauty of God's salvation, for how God thoughtfully restores and renews all things, all living things. God has made things by his very hand and we'll see everyone and everything on earth to completion. But I want us to have one more consideration before we come to the table of the Lord today. As Yahweh is saying here, idols only have the value that we give them. We know that. And we know that they don't have to be something that we make with our own hands and worship outright. As humans, we have the spiritual gift of making an idol out of anything. (laughs) Metal and wood and gold are given to us by God, and humans are the ones who form them into these sacred things that we then worship. We can take what is given as a gift and then make it into something more important than it should be. Our own comfort, our time, our zeal for good, our bodies, our reputation, our families, our jobs, our sense of belonging, our hobbies. Remember, an idol is something we construct, and then we give that thing our best because somehow it has intrigued and captivated us, and we think somehow that it completes us. We make idols because we are dissatisfied with what we have, and so we twist something good that God has given in order to fill that longing, and then we expect these idols to fulfill our hearts in meaningful ways. Idols take the place of God in our hearts and imagination because we give away who we are. We may not literally bow down, but we trust in something fashioned on earth that takes the the place of the one who deserves to be first. But here's the thing. 
Well, idols have no inherent value themselves. The sad thing is how we use them to give us value. We use these things as if we don't have any value except for the value that we find in them. And so we cling to them because they make us feel better when we hold on to them. When it's something an idol and not just a treasure. When we can't let it go. When it begins to define us when it is more important to us than the Lord, when it takes precedence over those we are called to love, when we are angry, when they are threatened and defensive, that we have them. I could name quite a lot of things that could be idols in my life and in your life, but in the end, an idol is anything that begins to define us in a way that pushes Jesus out from being in the highest place. Here, Yahweh is tearing down the idea of an idol while teaching an important lesson. God is the maker of all that we know in the heavens and the earth. He is the one who is above all, and he is the uncreated one. He is distinguishing himself from an idol. We are meant to worship him and no other. To consider worshiping anything else is wrong because it makes our creator less than he is. But he is also differentiating, differentiating himself from the idol maker, because that person has to eat and gets tired, has to be warmed by the fire, has to go and use the materials, ironically, that God created in order to make an object to worship. That person is human. And it's interesting that the whole narrative about the idol maker that in that, that Yahweh is pointing out how fallible and finite and human they are. Think about what else God is doing and gently saying here to us. He's saying, you are the greatest value to me. My people are the greatest value to me. Don't try and find your worth in anything else because I love you. I made you. I made you for me. I've done everything I can to show you how you belong to me. You are mine. Can that be enough for you, he's asking. Can that be enough for you? So into this conversation, we remember Jesus, the one who came to earth to save us, the one who died on the cross to show us how cherished we are. We, we worship a Lord who is not created or fashioned. We worship the God who is before time but became one of us so that we could have true meaning and worship a living God the one who lives to fill the greatest longings of our souls, the one who sends us out to bring hope and reconciliation in a world who are worshiping so many false gods and don't know it. We are made to be connected to the eternal God, yet live in the lost world, which means that we are always searching, but the God that you're searching for is here right now, today. So as we say these words of liturgy, as we partake of communion, may God be alive with us. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.